Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 12, how God told Abraham to go to the promised land, and how Abraham literally removed himself from his friends, family, and home, but not from God. Now, the summer blitz, the Jewish evangelism campaign to reach over 700,000 lost Jewish people in the United States and Canada, going on in 15 cities with over 111 missionaries from Israel Restoration Ministries, is going on through this entire summer into August. We want to share with you one of the quick testimonies of a Jewish person who's come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given Tom Cantor's book on his testimony and prophecy and fulfillments of Jesus Christ being the Messiah and suffering servant, and that he would come again in in the future as the conquering king. And he is a Jewish person who's actually gotten mixed up with the occult and uh, has been struggling with demons and and things like that. And the missionaries were working with him on uh, the truth of the gospel, and he was freed from that affliction with receiving the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, as his Savior. And he's also been followed up with discipleship on salvation, assurance of his uh, eternal security and baptism, and also working with him to get him into worship and church services. So, Even those Jewish people that are not in traditional Jewish worship and that were in kind of devil worship or experimenting with uh, things that are very occultish, those people can also be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ through Israel Restoration Ministries. And a matter of fact, this particular believer, Yair, has been attacked ever since he has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. So pray for him and pray for others that are being reached this summer, Jewish people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have a part in that by donating, uh, by calling us directly at 800-247-3051. That's 800 247 3051. Have a part in the gospel going to the Jewish people first, and that's 800-247-3051. You can also go to our website and donate and find out more information, israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org, and also friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, today here on Friendship with God. All right, so if you turn uh, to uh, Genesis chapter 12 in uh, verse 8, then we'll, we'll go ahead and start as we, uh, as we open God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you, Lord, because we need you. We need to be taught by you, led by you, guided by you. And so, therefore, we come to you to open your Word. And we know, Lord, that, that uh, without the Spirit of God as our teacher, that we'll just be muddling about. So, Lord, we pray. Spirit of God, our teacher be, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, and uh, follow along here as I begin reading in verse 8, and we're going to get a view here of uh, Abraham in this time of his life. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, which means house house of God, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the east, or seawards, sorry, on the west, or seawards and Ai, which means heaps, on the east, and there... He built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, 
but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep or small cattle, and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so that I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. Okay, now, let's start at verse 8. We come now to verse 8, which says about Abram, it says Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham, because that's the way I think about him anyway. Um, He removed from thence. It's a very interesting word to describe Abram as he traveled. That's the word that's used here, that God uses as he traveled. It's the word translated removed. It's the Hebrew root word, atak. It's the first time it's used in the Bible here. It's used to describe Abraham on the move. Now, to translate the word atak as removed, it's a good good choice because the word means remove in the sense of transcribe or going from one place to another place. As a matter of fact, there's another place where this word is used, and it's actually used meaning transcribe in Proverbs 21, 25, 1, where it says, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. So the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, they attack, or they copied, or they transcribed those Proverbs. And that's the picture behind the word attack here. First time it's used, it's used in the context here of Abram moving. So it's the picture of the men of Hezekiah transcribing the Proverbs from this piece of paper or whatever they wrote on. Anyway, from this piece to that piece. So literally, verse 8 could read, Abram attack or he transcribed himself, or it's good, removed himself. So God told Abraham to leave, and Abraham obeyed God by attack by removing himself. And when Abraham obeyed God, he attack or removed himself from his country or his friends. And then Abraham attacked or removed himself from his kindred or his roots. And then Abraham attacked or removed himself from his father's house or his family. So when we read in verse 8 that Abraham attacked or removed himself from his country, kindred, and father's house, we see that Abraham is making a statement. And so what is the statement that Abraham is making by his attack or removing himself from his country, kindred, and father's house? By removing himself from his country, Abraham was saying, I can be parted from my country and my friends, but not from God. By removing himself from his kindred, Abraham was saying, I can be separated or parted from my kindred or my roots, but not from God. By removing himself from his father's house, Abraham was saying, I can be parted or separated from my father's house or family, but not from God. You remember, that was the description of Joseph. He was the one 
who was separated from his father's house. So by removing himself, by Abraham removing himself from his country, his kindred, his family, Abraham was saying the words of this hymn, Jesus engrave it on my heart, that thou the one thing needful art. I could from all things parted be country, kindred, father's house, but never, never, Lord, from thee. And for any Jewish person who contemplates receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior, more often than not, he'll find himself in Abraham's position, right there, the same position, and the challenge will be, is he willing to attack, remove himself from his Jewish friends or country, from his Jewish roots or kindred, from his Jewish family or father's house? But the word attack or removing for Abraham, that wasn't easy for Abraham. Those were Abraham's friends. Those were Abraham's roots. Those were Abraham's family. Abraham was not a tin man with no heart from the Wizard of Oz. He felt this sadness. He felt this emptiness. He felt this hollow feeling inside of him. And where is he? What does he do? He pitches his tent in verse 8. He finds a place. He's not in a city, but he's outside. He's between two cities. And, um, and his, his flocks, they need pasture. They need to feed. So he, he takes care of these things. And then he thinks of the need of his soul the second time as we see him doing this. He's left the plain of Moray in verse 6, where, you remember, he built his first altar to God. And now right after Abraham has set up his tent, we see Abraham again, so characteristic of him, going about to establish as his first priority the worship of God, and he builds this altar to God. Now, Abraham knew that with the feeling of his loss, of this loss of his country and his kindred and his family, that if he didn't take time to spend time with God, that he would just be swallowed up or sunk into discouragement. And so in building this altar, we see that Abraham is turning himself to God. That's the wonderful thing about Abraham that we see him doing. He was a man of like passions like we are. He felt depression. He felt hollowness in his soul, in his heart. He felt emptiness. He felt fear, as we'll see. And when he gets down to Egypt, he felt all of these things. But he shows us what to do about it. Not just to sit in the depression. Not just to sit in the, in the discouragement. But to build an altar to God. That's Abram's remedy for the problems. And then he goes on. And so what does he do when he builds an altar to God? In verse 8, it says, what does it say he did when he built the altar to God? What does it say? He calls upon the name of the Lord. So what does that mean? He pulls out his address book. You see, it's in L for Lord. What's his name? <laughs> he doesn't do that. <laughs> he calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, so that's something that we have never seen Abram do before. Not to say he hasn't done it before, but it hasn't been called out to us. Who was the first one who called on the name of the Lord before we saw it? Genesis 4. Yeah? Then take a guess. Okay. Okay. Enoch, right? Then was born Enoch, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. 
We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. Tom Cantor is the founder also of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. Right now we have the Summer Blitz going on all across this nation with our missionaries that we've sent out to evangelize the Jewish people. We mentioned at the start of the program today about Yair and how he has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and was involved in the occult and devil worship and has since been persecuted but has trusted Christ and is growing and being discipled and now learning to worship his new God and Savior. We also have other Jewish people who call in our 1-800 number or ask questions that would normally get them ostracized from their community, but they feel comfortable calling us. You can have a part in supporting Jewish people being able to call into us and being ministered to and the gospel going to them with materials. Support us with a donation of any amount, 800-247-3051, So this is not the first time we've seen this term, calling on the name of the Lord. It's the second time. <laughs> so that's the great thing about when you study Genesis, you can say, this is the first time. Of course it's the first time. It's the first book, but anyway. But this is a very important phrase, not just something to be passed over and to say, well, you know, whatever he did, he called on the name of the Lord. No, it's a very important thing that Abraham did when he called on the name of the Lord. So we got we to gotta hunker down here and ask the question, what does it mean when Abraham called on the name of the Lord? What does it mean when we call on the name of the Lord? That's the question. Well, here's the, here's the thing. The name of the Lord, which is given in several places in the Scripture, is always associated with a need that we have. And the name of God is always associated with the name that we have. For example, you just take the name that we're the most familiar with, the name of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Right. We're in Matthew one twenty one. That's the name. That's the meaning of the name, Jesus. Jesus means that he was going to save his people from their sins. Means God saves. Well, God saves from what? God saves from sins. And he is going to save. God saves. He is going to save his people from his sins. God is going to save his people from their sins by becoming a man. That's all tied up in the name of Jesus. In other words, Jesus means that he is God, became a man, to save from people from their sins. What's Christ? Christ means Messiah or sent one from God. So by putting the two names together of Jesus Christ, we understand that the meaning of Jesus Christ is the one who God sent to save us from our sins. That name of the Lord is for our need. We're the ones that have sins. We're the ones who are sinners. We need to be saved from our sins. So we call on the name of Jesus Christ, when we need to be saved from our sins by the one who has sent us. And by the way, we don't just need to be saved from our sins at the time we're saved. We have lots of sins, so we have always a time coming to sin. So we always need to be saved. So we always call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's name, one of God's names, is Jesus Christ, the one God sent to save us from our sins. When we need to find in God deliverance from our sins, salvation from our sins, because we're we're afraid, for one thing, to fall into the hands of an angry God. Then we call in the name of God as Jesus Christ. That's a precious name to us because it's the name that meets the need of our salvation from sins. And we call on that name for that need. Now, another name for God is in 2 Corinthians 
where it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. That's a name. The God of all comfort. That's a name for God, the God of all comfort. When we need to find in God, find in God comfort because we're distressed, because we're depressed, then we call on that name of God, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort is precious to us. It's a precious name for us when we need comfort. Now Moses taught the Jewish people names for God. He taught them so that they could do this this practice here. He taught them in several places. He taught them in Deuteronomy 32.4 where he said this about God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. So Moses told Israel that one name for God is God the rock. You can call him that. That's his name, God the rock. When we need to find in God stability. Why? Because we're unstable. Then we call on the name of God as God the rock. That's a precious name to us when we need stability. Moses told that Israel that also another name for God is the God of truth, the God of truth. When we need in God freedom from lies and deceptions, then we call on the name of God as the God of truth. The God of truth is a precious name to us when we need freedom from lies and deceptions that arise right out of our own heart, as it says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So there's a pattern here. The pattern is that our need drives us to the different names of God as those names express how God meets our different needs. That's why when God proclaimed some different names, you might want to turn to it, Exodus 34, Verse 5, Exodus 34, 5, is a place where God proclaimed his name, his different names. And when you look at these verses, Exodus 34, 5 through 7, you'll see and hear different names for God linked to different needs that we have. Here it is, Exodus 34, 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that would by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children of the third and fourth generation. So when the Lord proclaimed to Moses these names of the Lord in this passage, he was saying to Moses, When we need, saying to Moses and us, when we need to find in God the final authority, why? Because we're under an oppression of another authority. Then we call on God's name as the Lord, the Lord God. When we need to find in God mercy because we've made God angry, we've made God mad, Then we call on God as God the Merciful, his name of God the Merciful. When we need to find in God grace, because we want to get what we don't deserve, then we call on God's name as God the Gracious, or as Peter called him in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace. When we need to find in God patience, 
because we're not obeying God, because we're, we're pushing God, we're trying his patience, then we call on God's name as the long-suffering God. When we need to find in, in God peace, because we're in a turmoil, then we call on God's name, as he is called in Hebrews 13.20, the God of all peace. Like yesterday, that's what I should have done. My wife could not find some dresses she bought for our granddaughter, and it was her birthday party coming up, and she couldn't find it. And it so happened that the rescue mission had come and taken some clothes that were on our couch, and I was home, and I was the person responsible to make sure that only the clothes on the couch were taken. You get the picture? And so she keeps asking me if I let the rescue mission take the new dresses. And what did it do? It made me crazy inside. It frustrated me. And so what I should have done is I should have acknowledged that I was frustrated and I didn't have peace and I needed peace and I should have called on God as his name in Hebrews 13, 20 is the God of all, uh, God of peace. But nope, not me. I decided to go cut some green onions instead. And I'd hold those green onions up and I'd whack them in the air, see? <laughs> With the very sharp German Hinkle's bread knife. The good news is it's a very sharp knife. The bad news is, it's a very sharp knife. So I thought that'd be a good way to vent my frustration. So what happened? So the, the green onion kind of bends over, and I followed on to cut it, and I cut something, but I noticed it wasn't the green onion. And then there was the blood and the pain from my index finger, and this deep half-inch flap of skin there, you know. So I began to faint, because that's what I do when I see my own blood. But I kind of recovered, and I saw that I hadn't cut my finger off, which was a good thing. So <laughs> later on that day, I called on God's name from Genesis 22 of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac as the God who stopped the knife. <laughs> Thank God. And he stopped the knife so I could save my finger. Now I need to, I've been calling on God from his name in Exodus 15:26, the Lord that healeth thee. I should go down to the Creation Museum and stand in front of that display on wound healing. Anyway, when we need to find in God a need, we call upon his specific name. When we need to find in God for him to be good to us, because we know we don't deserve for him to be good for us, then we call on God's name as the God of goodness. When we need to find in God forgiveness, because we've thought, we've said, we've done wrong to God, then we call on God's name as the forgiving God. That's his name, the forgiving God. Now, this is a very important name for the Lord, the forgiving God. Why? When we call on the name of the Lord as the forgiving God, we're calling on the name of God who loves to forgive. That's important. God loves to forgive. A person who loves to forgive is not easy for us to imagine. It's just our nature is not to forgive. Our nature is certainly not to love to forgive. We don't want to forgive. Now, here's a phone conversation that goes on. Two Jewish persons. So there's Barry and Maury. So Barry calls Maury. Maury, this is Barry. And then he goes on. Maury, you never invite me over to your house. You don't invite me over to your house anymore. We had such good times together when you used to invite me to your house. We ate, we talked, we laughed. You used to invite me all the time over to your house. But you don't do it anymore. You stop. So... So why is it? Why don't you invite me over to your house anymore? So Maury replies. He says, Barry, I'll tell you the truth. 
He said, I'll tell you why I stopped inviting you over to my house. The last time that you were in my house, there was some gold and there was some silver that was missing. And we couldn't find it. And he says, and I got a very bad feeling about you. So Barry replies, Maury, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I didn't take your gold and silver. I didn't do it, Maury. You got to believe me. I didn't take your gold and silver. And Maury replies, Barry, I know, I know. I know you didn't take the gold and the silver because we found the gold and the silver. So then Barry replies, so if you know I didn't take your gold and silver, so why don't you invite me over to your house anymore? And Maury replies, because the bad feeling hasn't gone away. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Sorry. The bad feeling hasn't gone away. Now, we like to hold on to our bad feelings and like <laughs> about others because we don't like to forgive. We're like Maury. We like to keep our bad feelings, but God does not like to keep his bad feelings. Another great day of studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who again is a born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a tremendous Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. You can always download his messages for free on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. You can also download the messages on our main website, friendshipwithgod.com. Friendshipwithgod.org. As we always mention, Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism outreach ministry, which has the summer blitz going on right now with 111 missionaries. And we not only go to the Jewish people with the gospel, we also, at every door, we're not sure that they're Jewish or they don't answer the door. There's nothing to indicate that it's a Jewish home. We do leave the gospel with every door that we go to, to Jews and to Gentiles. In fact, we leave what's called a Ten Commandment track. We'd like to offer you 20 of them for a donation of $20 or more. And you can call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. 